If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of October 15, 2023. The podcast that depicts scenes of illicit consumption. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's temporize the news of the bogus. Another year, another war. This one's been a long time coming, admittedly, but Israel declared war on Hamas after a devastating and horrific attack on peaceful citizens at a dance festival. Cue all the warmongering tactics, including years-old video of military exercises and even video games being presented as present-day Hamas attacks on Israel. Personally, I'm still in my mode of immediately disbelieving anything I see on this. Like Ukraine, that'll let you be right far more often than not. But the violence in Israel is still happening, and, as usual, Israel seems to want to outdo Hamas the first chance they get. Israel has officially announced that Gaza is under, quote, complete siege, and cut off its electricity, food, water, and fuel. When the West claimed Russia was doing that to Ukraine, they called it a war crime. Their smaller-scale attacks on infrastructure are likewise condemned. As usual, I'm looking for consistency here. Why isn't Israel doing that to the whole of Gaza one huge war crime, going way beyond anything Russia attempted? And this was after Netanyahu tweet-exed that civilians in Gaza should leave. That left a lot of them asking, How? And where can we go? Especially after Israel bombed the very border crossing they said to use as an escape route. In fact, they're acting like this is a war against the Gaza Strip, not just Hamas. Those are ordinary people stuck right in the middle of the fighting between two powerful militaries that don't care the first thing about them. Israel's Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said, quote, There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting human animals, and we are acting accordingly. Afterwards, Israel's energy minister Israel Katz ordered that water be cut off to Gaza. It's hard to get up-to-date figures, but as of the other day, there were over 1,300 Israelis killed and 1,900 Gazans killed, and on both sides, most were civilians. Israel has been the functional government over the Gaza Strip since 2007. Since then, Hamas has been attempting to claim authority after splitting off from the Palestinian National Authority. Israel has been maintaining a blockade of Gaza ever since. Back in July, UN Special Rapporteur Francesca Albanese said Israel's control over Palestinian territory constituted a, quote, constantly surveilled open-air prison. One wonders, then, how Hamas managed to get the drop on them so badly. That's a question a lot of Israelis are asking, and according to the Jerusalem Post, an overwhelming majority of Jewish Israelis are calling for Netanyahu's resignation. I mean, if you keep getting elected dictator for life based on assurances that you're the only one who can keep Israel safe, and then you don't keep Israel safe, bound to happen. Four out of five Jewish Israelis believe the government and the Prime Minister are to blame for the mass infiltration of Hamas terrorists and the ensuing massacre. 
86%, including 79% of coalition supporters, said the attack is a failure of the country's leadership. The blockade, the Iron Dome, the near-police state Israel has been running somehow just wasn't enough. Or maybe, just maybe, police state tactics don't work. Just saying. 94% said the government bears some responsibility for the attacks, with 75% saying they bear most of the responsibility. 52% said that Netanyahu must resign at the end of the war, and the same amount said that Gallant should resign as well. It's shades of 9-11, a massive intelligence failure where the U.S. government had all the information they needed to determine that the attacks would happen, but somehow just missed it. The difference is, in Israel, we're not seeing the unifying rally behind Netanyahu the way people got behind George W. Bush. Probably for the best, since getting behind Bush was a massive mistake. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. Like I said, maybe Israel is proof that police state tactics don't work. It's also evidence that massive gun control doesn't work either. Even Israel is recognizing this, scaling back slightly on their oh-my-god-are-you-kidding levels of gun control that would make California look like a gun rally. In fact, their gun control laws rival if not exceed most Western countries. Licenses are so hard to get that less than 3% of the adult population has one, and you can only get a license for handguns, no rifles. In fact, Throughout this year leading up to the attack, Israeli police have carried out almost daily raids where illegal firearms were seized. In addition, civilians are limited to 50 rounds of ammunition per year. And not even your training during your mandatory military service is enough to ensure you qualify for one. Like New York and Australia, you have to show a specific need to own a gun. And no, self-defense doesn't count. And that means everyone at that dance festival and everywhere else Hamas attacks have been sitting ducks. Israeli National Security Minister Itamar Ben-Gavir announced an emergency declaration that will pull back on these intense levels of gun control. Slightly. Despite his contention that it will, quote, allow as many citizens as possible to arm themselves, it's actually just an incremental improvement. In particular, the requirement to prove a need hasn't changed. 
and no, I might be killed by a Hamas terrorist, still isn't one. However, you can do the application interview over the phone instead of in person, and you might get your license as quickly as a week. And they increase the annual limit on ammunition from 50 to 100. About 4,000 people who applied for a conditional permit in 2023 but let it expire can get a firearm, as can another 1,800 people who turned in their guns because they didn't take their biennial training renewal course. Out of a population of nearly a million. 0.05% of the population. That ought to show Hamas. To Ben Gavir's credit, he's been pushing for more civilian ownership of guns since he took office at the beginning of the year, and by June, new license approvals were 280% higher compared to the same four-month period in 2022. It also led to an 88% increase in the number of women obtaining firearm licenses. I really don't get how it isn't bloody obvious at this point. Government cannot protect you. There's no better protection for people than armed citizens being present. And the best way for you to ensure that is to be that armed citizen. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. latest failure of the Think of the Children laws, Gavin Newsom has signed their Foster Light into law, an act I can't even read the title of without getting demonetized on YouTube. They hadn't learned their lesson from last year, where their ridiculous age-appropriate design code was ruled as the unconstitutional mess anyone with more than four working neurons could instantly tell it was. That was the one that destroyed the First Amendment on the grounds that social media was addictive. But, never to be outdone in the moral panic department, there's now the law that shall not be named. It allows people to sue social media sites if children get harmed. Which, of course, would just open the floodgates to lawsuits the minute any CSAM material makes it onto any website. What it means is that, even if you do everything right, as soon as the tiniest amount slips through the cracks, and it will because no system can be made perfect, they'll basically get sued out of existence by anyone and everyone. The obvious side effect is that sites will stop doing anything to try to find and stop CSAM material because that's the only way to avoid a claim that they knowingly facilitated it. You can't know if you didn't look. Which means that it'll be a boon for people who traffic in this material. 
It'll tie the hands of any website that would otherwise be in a position to find and stop it. The only other option would be massive overblocking, just like we saw on Tumblr, eBay, Craigslist, and other sites after FOSTA passed. It's not just the fact that all this history should mean that Newsom should know better. He knows better because people specifically warned him about this. But who needs to deal with reality when they've got presidential aspirations? The bill has over a year before it takes effect, which means it'll likely be struck down as unconstitutional before it has a chance to do anything. That's good, but it might also reveal the reason why Newsom is doing this. It's a cynical and vapid ploy to be able to say he cares about the children and was only foiled by that pesky constitution he hates so much. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttletwins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to buy flagellate this week's Vegas Bogon Emitter. And this week it goes to NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. And buckle up, people, this one's a doozy. I mean, at this point we're used to the FBI, the NSA, the ATF, and other agencies being corrupt. Hell, we even know how corrupt the FDA is. But NIST? And it's a bit unsettling, coming off of last week's coverage of post-quantum encryption algorithms. This one deals with one we mentioned, Kyber 768, which is already being deployed in real-world situations to end users. And it might have been the wrong choice. This comes from security expert Daniel Bernstein's blog about how NIST basically cheated to get Kyber approved over NTRU, the algo he was involved in creating. And man, he is salty! Bernstein is the developer of one of the primary algos we rely on today for privacy, including forward secrecy, Elliptic Curve 255.19. As we discussed last week, we need modern post-quantum replacements because Shor's algorithm will go through these like tissue paper. But it shouldn't have taken someone of his caliber to point out the very basic math error they made. Think about it yourself. What's 2 to the 40 plus 2 to the 40? Is it 2 to the 80? You might be forgiven for immediately thinking that, but if you remember how this works, 2 to the 80 is 2 to the 40 times 2 to the 40. 2 to the 40 plus 2 to the 40 is 2 to the 41. 
It's a basic blunder you would not expect of a cryptanalysis done by the premier U.S. standards body when selecting the vital next-generation encryption protocols we'll all be relying on. Bernstein wrote, NIST's underlying calculation of the security level was a severe and indefensible miscalculation. NIST's primary error is exposed in this blog post and boils down to nonsensically multiplying two costs that should have been added. Bernstein gets points for understatement here, as he goes on to explain, it's far, far worse. A big problem is that NIST PQC, the NIST Post-Quantum Cryptography Standardization Project, kept its processes secret, which should never be done when assessing cryptographic protocols. So Bernstein filed FOIA requests and, as you'd expect out of Biden's other agencies, but not so much NIST, they stonewalled in blatant violation of the law. Since March, he's been getting a trickle of secret documents that are very enlightening of what's been going on behind the scenes. I'm going to try to keep this short, but it's a good thing that the other segments were shorter than normal because this one's going to eat a lot of time. Even after I skip the technical mumbo-jumbo, this is very difficult to boil down and I hope you appreciate the effort. But it is, sadly, going to mean not sufficiently explaining this. But Bernstein's blog post is there for anyone wanting all the gory details. Apparently, there's been much heavier involvement by the NSA than there has been in the past 15 years or so, ever since they were caught slipping a backdoor into their elliptic curve protocol. Quote, Public material regarding Kyber 512 already shows how NIST multiplied costs that should have been added, how NIST sabotaged public review of this calculation, and how important this calculation was for NIST's narrative of Kyber outperforming NTRU, filling a critical gap left by other steps that NIST took to promote the same narrative. The problem with Kyber 512 is, you can't just bump up the security, there is no Kyber 576, and if you want something stronger than Kyber 768, you have to go all the way up to Kyber 1024. And if you want something stronger than Kyber 1024, you're just out of luck. Whereas NTRU is much more flexible. They eliminated New Hope because it only offered New Hope 512 and New Hope 1024. So basically, unless they can get Kyber 512 in, then NTRU is the hands-down winner. More on that in a minute. But you know what else you can blame? Patents. Quote, NIST could have told people to use NTRU shortly after its deadline. Instead, it delayed for three quarters of a year to carry out patent negotiations and ended up telling people to wait for its Kyber patent license to activate in 2024, giving away three years of user data to attackers. Picking Kyber was doing obvious damage to security given the patent situation. How could NIST ignore the damage that it was doing in not going ahead with NTRU? NIST knew it didn't have a patent license signed for Kyber yet, let alone an activated patent license. As for NTRU, it has the smallest options, the highest security options, and the most flexible options. Quote, this is a solid case for eliminating Kyber in favor of NTRU, given NIST's declaration that there can only be one. Why wasn't NIST allowing both? Answer, the movie says there can only be one. Stop asking questions. And remember how they eliminated New Hope because there weren't enough options? NIST said, quote, 
NIST believes that too many parameter sets make evaluation and analysis more difficult. So, wait, they eliminated New Hope because there weren't enough options, but eliminated NTRU because there were too many? Bernstein asked a lot of questions in response. How many is too many? How did flexibility go from a good thing to a bad? NIST never replied. And when the math doesn't go your way, lie about the math. Quote, The main message NIST is communicating here is that NTRU costs strikingly more than Kyber and Sabre. Only a small part of the audience will go to the effort of checking the numbers and seeing how NIST manipulated the choices in its presentation to favor Kyber over NTRU. To make things even more frustrating, quote, In 2020, NIST wasn't even trying to follow the official evaluation criteria. It was inventing new evaluation criteria with no warning and retroactively applying those criteria to criticize the NTRU and NTRU Prime submissions. Those submissions responded with software for higher security levels. NIST praised NTRU for responding with higher security levels than Kyber, right? Of course not. NIST concealed the fact that NTRU was offering higher security levels than Kyber. Their presentation deliberately misled people into thinking NTRU was less flexible than Kyber when it isn't and can't reach higher security levels when it can. He refers to NIST's follow-up on 7 December 2022 as NIST's botched security analysis of Kyber 512 or NIST BS. NIST wrote, We don't think further elaboration of our current position will be helpful. While we did consult among ourselves and with the Kyber team, it's basically just our considered opinion based on the same publicly available information everyone else has access to. Bernstein responds, This is not true. NIST BS starts from the Motsoff paper's 2 to the 137 estimate for gates, but then goes beyond this in quantifying the impact of memory costs, something the Motsoff paper definitely did not do. What we'll see later is how NIST BS botches its own calculations starting from the Motsoff number. Public review of NIST security evaluations requires transparency and clarity regarding those evaluations. It is not appropriate for NIST to be asking for a range of perspectives while concealing information. An open and transparent process would involve less back and forth than the process that NIST chose. It's surprising that NIST BS doesn't mention any of the newer attack papers. NIST had hypothesized that there are no major improvements in cryptanalysis, but this doesn't justify ignoring the improvements that have already been published. Still with me? Good. I'm skipping the numbers, but of course they're important. As for how NIST-BS botched the calculations of Kyber 512 security levels, quote, NIST-BS is claiming that the NTRU Prime documentation eliminates 40 bits of security more than would be suggested by the RAM model without giving a full quote from the NTRU Prime documentation? I'm one of the NTRU Prime submitters. I already knew that this NIST-BS claim was false, it's misattributing NIST's wishful thinking to the NTRU Prime documentation. But say you're reading this claim without knowing in advance that it's false. How do you figure out that it's false? Hard answer? Follow NIST BS's pointer to section 6.11 of the documentation. You can read through all the formulas and comments, try to match it up to the NIST BS claim, and see that nothing matches. Easy answer? As soon as you observe that this citation is hard to check, simply ask for clarification regarding what exactly the citation is referring to. 
Honest authors will be happy to clarify. But they didn't. They dodged the question because they didn't want the errors to be fixed. I feel kind of bad for something I said last week that all the end users should have to do is update. Imagine when this fell into my RSS reader. Quote, I had sent a message to the NIST PQC mailing list summarizing the complicated analysis that needed to be done. An agency desperate to rescue Kyber 512 will take note of the first part of what I had written. Great. Memory access costs bump Kyber security level up by 40 bits, giving us a healthy security margin. The agency won't listen to the subsequent part saying that, no, this calculation is garbage. The agency won't even listen to the preliminary adjustment of 40 to 36. We have a healthy security margin. Why worry about a few bits here and there? Meanwhile, if there's something that sounds like a few bits favoring Kyber 512, then the desperate agency happily takes note of that, as the following example illustrates. This is double counting the silver lining. NIST didn't write NIST BS in a verification-friendly way. In particular, as noted above, NIST didn't include any examples of confirming tallies. When I find mistakes in security analyses, the authors usually say, thanks for catching the mistake. This continual evasion is a serious disincentive to security review. I was expecting a prompt answer saying, yes, for that specific scenario, we were calculating 177 bits of security and we're getting the 40 from the 169 and 129 that you mentioned. What actually happened is that NIST didn't reply. Seriously? NIST picks a risky, bleeding-edge crypto system to standardize for users worldwide and then doesn't even bother answering clarification questions? I filed a formal complaint regarding the lack of transparency. Quoting his complaint, NIST has publicly claimed that Kyber 512 is as difficult to break as AES-128. However, NIST has concealed many details of the investigation that led to this claim. NIST admits that we did consult among ourselves and with the Kyber team. NIST still has not published those communications. I have been trying to review the details of NIST's work on this topic. NIST's lack of transparency makes this review process unnecessarily difficult. I am writing to file a formal complaint regarding NIST's failure to promptly and publicly disclose full details of its investigation of the security of Kyber 512. This investigation should have been carried out transparently from the outset, allowing prompt correction of any errors that NIST failed to detect. The fact that NIST is continuing to conceal the details today seems inexplicable except as part of NIST trying to limit public review of NIST security evaluations. Quoting his blog post, I escalated the complaint to NIST's Matthew Shull on 20 January 2023. Shull didn't reply. The public still hasn't seen the details of NIST's consultations among ourselves and with the Kyber team regarding Kyber 512. I escalated my non-transparency complaint to Shoal, I publicly noted NIST's non-responsiveness, and asked if anyone saw another way to interpret NIST's calculations. NIST dodged, replying that NIST's email speaks for itself. Well, yes, I think NIST BS speaks for itself. Still with me? Good. I promise we're on the home stretch. Quote, even if NIST didn't understand by this point that it had screwed up, it certainly knew that NIST BS was stating conclusions about Kyber 512 security that were not in the source documents that NIST BS was citing. 
Those conclusions were the result of calculations announced by NIST. It's completely inappropriate for NIST to be trying to deflect clarification questions about those calculations. I went far beyond the call of duty in informing NIST of my understanding of NIST BS, asking for confirmation, and giving them ample time to reply. By dodging, NIST successfully delayed having NIST BS publicly debunked. At some point, one has to draw a line and say that this has gone too far. NIST's miscalculation of Kyber 512 security level is still sitting there misinforming people, and it has to be corrected. Security is supposed to be job number one, so I recommend eliminating Kyber 512. I also recommend that NIST be honest with the public about what happened here. After everything that has happened, I'm skeptical that we're going to suddenly see honest NIST, but hope springs eternal. NIST's behavior is inexcusable. Nothing about this is classified or national security or anything of the kind. That means the information should be public domain. Why won't NIST just release it? For a while, NIST was being really good. But now, sadly, it seems to be sliding back into the incompetent and or corrupt NIST of 15 years ago. So all of that makes NIST this week's biggest bogan emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's demotivate this week's... Idiot And this week it goes to North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper for a completely idiotic veto of election reform laws that was easily overridden. Did I say a veto? Sorry, I meant five. One of them took the power to appoint the entire state board of elections away from one man, the governor himself, and make it a bipartisan appointment. Instead of the five members it currently has, it'll have eight four chosen by Democratic legislators, and the other four by Republicans. A different bill does similar things with other boards, such as the Department of Transportation and the Utilities Commission. Another reduces the amount of time the state can take processing absentee ballots and also places more scrutiny on signatures. Cooper whined, quote, the legislative takeover of state and local elections boards could doom our state's elections to gridlock and severely limit early voting. 
It also creates a grave risk that Republican legislators or courts would be empowered to change the results of an election if they don't like the winner. That's just an outright lie. It actually improves voting in the entire state. It improves early voting and makes it easier and more secure. And Cooper did the usual Democratic screeching about it being a, quote, serious threat to our democracy, particularly after the nation just saw a presidential candidate try to strong-arm state officials into reversing his losing election results. Courts have already ruled the ideas in this bill unconstitutional, and voters overwhelmingly said no when the legislature tried to change the Constitution. Yeah, neither of those last two is true either. So he filed a lawsuit in Wake Superior Court and asked for an injunction. The DNC and the North Carolina Democratic Party filed suits of their own. Funny how they say they're defending democracy when they're undermining what the elected body of the state decided to do. Do you really not think the voters of North Carolina were trying to tell you something when they gave Republicans a three-fifths majority in both houses? The Democratic Party, another example of Killian's Law. Biden's campaign manager, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, made even more unhinged claims that just don't match anything passed in the bills. Quote, Defending Americans' fundamental right to cast their ballots against efforts to undermine their freedom to vote is an urgent priority for President Biden and Vice President Harris. SB 747 is not about protecting election security. It's about making it harder for North Carolinians to vote and adding new burdens for voters to cast their ballots safely and ultimately have their vote counted. Even though the laws actually make elections more secure. Gee, I wonder why Democrats have such a problem with election security. And in further showing how far they've fallen from grace, the ACLU joined with other groups in saying that this was tantamount to, quote, Reconstruction-era tactics by the Ku Klux Klan. What do they think they're doing with these histrionics other than turning off even more people? They also passed laws prohibiting officials from accepting private money to administer elections. They also directed state courts to inform election officials about potential jurors being disqualified because they aren't U.S. citizens so they can be removed from voter rolls. And the other is a bill to reclassify nuclear energy as clean energy, which, as we covered in a previous podcast, caused Cooper to get his little panties in a bunch. He actually said that this would somehow get in the way of removing carbon from our electric generation. I mean, what? State Senator Paul Newton said, quote, Governor Cooper's hardline opposition to nuclear power is a slap in the face to North Carolina's energy industry. He would rather glorify the Green New Deal than strengthen energy production in our state. Could Cooper possibly be any more transparent? He's whining about having his little power grab stifled in a state that has never been all that big on giving its governor a lot of power to begin with. We know he wants to be Gavin Newsom, but North Carolinians don't stand for that sort of thing. All he's doing is making himself look like a child throwing a tantrum. Because that's basically what he is. So all of that makes Roy Cooper this week's... Idiot Extraordinary! 
Well, that wraps up this That's Our Hitler edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from Michael C. Burgess. Nuclear power will help provide the electricity that our growing economy needs without increasing emissions. This is truly an environmentally responsible source of energy. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. <laughs>